On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about a new poll, a new study, international, multi-country, that finds the same thing. People are losing faith in government. Shocked? Not me neither. We are also going to be talking about a bill, a motion that just passed at City Hall that affects housing in the city. It's an ongoing issue. How is this particular bill and adding license to apartments going to change that? We're going to talk to John Paul Danko, counselor for Ward 8. And Tony Esposito has died, which is terribly sad, not because just because he was a great goalie, but goalies back in the day in the NHL were so cool, weren't they? Way cooler than they are now. We'll talk about it. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There's an international study that's been done over the past few months that the results are now in. And I would suggest that they are about as predictable as the sun coming up in the morning. In fact, I would have been entirely, entirely shocked if the results weren't what was eventually presented, which is people are losing their faith in government, governments all over the board. More than that, it's not just losing their faith in government. There is an anti-government sentiment growing. And lest anyone think that this is just one study that's found this and it's someone or some group that came into this with an agenda, uh, this reasonably closely reflects another study that was done here in Canada earlier in the year. Now, that one was just looking at Canada, but similar kind of thing, a lack of trust and faith in government. So, as I said, I, I was not in any way shocked by this. I, I'm guessing probably you are not all that shocked. This is what you would have expected from this. But if this is really the issue, if this is true, and if people really are losing faith in government, and if governments know that people are losing faith in them, because they have to, they're not idiots, they're not oblivious, why are they not trying to do more to stem this and to stop it and to do better and to do things that people would then have faith in. I want to bring in a very familiar voice here on the show, a man who not only talks a lot of about a lot of stuff, but he has been in government. He's been on both sides of this. Uh, his name is Bill Kelly. You can hear him mornings here on 900 CHML from 9 till noon. He joins us now. Bill, how are you tonight? I, I was glad to join you until about 30 seconds ago when you mentioned funnel clouds. Now I'm looking yeah. over to the west here in my Ancaster studio. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the storm shelter right now, Scott, so uh, uh, the only consolation I have is if, if it's coming from the West, it's going to hit your house before it hits mine. So least, yeah, if you, know, you, you, you keep an eye out too, okay? If you start hearing the music, dun, 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 and someone on a bicycle goes blowing by your window, yeah, yeah, go exactly. to the storm shelter. Toto, uh, Bill, come look, back, yes. Bill, I'm, I'm making an assumption here that governments are aware of stuff like this, that the governments oh, sure they are. and yeah. all governments are aware that people are losing their faith. But if that's the case then, if you're in government or if you're whatever, why are they, Why would they not make it a priority above a lot of other things to say, we've got to fix whatever it is we need to fix to try and rebuild people's faith in what we do? Well, the short answer is, and, and forgive my cynicism, but that's what I do. Um, there is no short answer to this and there is no solution to this because as elected officials, uh, you're always going to be the reason for people's ill feelings, okay? Uh, if things are not going well, I'll give you an example from about five months ago, uh, distribution of, of the vaccine. These damn government officials, they screwed everything up. You know, we're all going to die now as a result. And now here we are in August, and we lead the, the free world now in, in percentage of vaccinations. And ah, these guys are pretty good. They, they got it going. 
anytime things go badly, we always look to government officials and say, it's your fault. Uh, you know, if it's going to rain tonight, well, it's their fault. If, you know, if, I, if my garbage isn't collected, it's my city councilor's fault. Uh, if my taxes are going up, it's these guys' fault. You, you have a target on your back when you're elected official. And I'm not sure, Scott, there is a way that you can say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to supersede that. Uh, it's very, very difficult because when things go badly, and they have gone badly for a whole lot of reasons in the last little while, the first person you reach out to to apportion blame is going to be your your counselor, your MPP, or your MP. And and that's the nature of the job. And anybody who runs for that office and, and aspires to that and eventually gets elected that better understand that that's what's coming after them. When, how do you think we got here? When did we get here? I mean, my, my first inclination is to say, you know, we've always been sort of suspicious, but Watergate, oh, sure. now, I mean, to be historic, Watergate kind of was when we first saw that our suspicions were reality. But since then, I mean, there's been lots and lots of governments of all stripes in all different places at all different levels that have bolstered that view people have. Well, because every time you hear something, uh, let's talk about the New York governor, for instance. Uh, you know, today resigning because of sexual misconduct allegations. There, there's always going to be some kind of dirt that's going to be associated with that. And every time that happens, you paint everybody with the same brush and say, see, they're all like that. I told you that was all like that. And it, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not trying to defend elected officials. I'm just saying that's the reality right now, because I, it was a long time ago that I was a city councilor, and now I'm a private citizen. And I blame them, Scott, for just about everything that's going wrong with my life now. Uh, as, as most people do, because it's it's the easy target, because we can reach out to them, uh, because we can access them. And, and, you know, when things are going badly right now, we say, well, it's their policies or their lack of policy that's, that's giving us that. So we, we're going to always reach out and say, what's wrong with my life right now? The fact that I'm, I'm, I'm deeply in debt, the fact that I can't find a job, the fact that, you know, my taxes are too high, it's always going to be their fault. And, and, we have to understand that's the reality. And and the other side of that coin is they are the people we elect to make those decisions. So if things are going badly for us, we're going to say, well, you know what? You made wrong decisions. Yeah. And I really thought that maybe with COVID, I thought maybe COVID might be one of those opportunities to turn that tide a bit and to make people feel better that government was looking out for them, was doing better. But I mean, I, I don't know that as much as there have been moments, I don't know that many people are coming out of COVID saying, oh, I feel way, way better about government now. Well, yes and no. I mean, and again, I'll go back over five or six months when uh, the, the current federal government, for instance, was languishing in the polls. And there, there was a lot of talk then that, you know what, these guys are in, in, sh- in very, very tough sh- shape right now that if there was an election, they'd probably lose. Now they're 10 points ahead. And, and what's the reason for it? Are they doing a better job? No, not really. But... The vaccine rollout is better. More and more people are getting vaccinated. You know, we're feeling better about ourselves. Stores are opening up again. We're still other places right now that are, you know, we can go to a restaurant. We can do all sorts of things right now. And, and people are looking at that and they're simply saying, you know what? Uh, things are not as bad as we thought. So as a result, uh, you know, we're going to look at this and say, uh, maybe it's not so bad after all. But when things go badly, they're the first pe- people that we tend to look at and say, well, okay, things have gone badly. Um, it, it's, it's, it rises and falls with how our lives are going. You know, if our garbage is getting picked up and, and you know, the sun is shining and the streets get plowed when the snow falls, we love our municipal governments. The same thing with federal and provincial governments. When they go badly, though, 
they're the first piece people will reach out to and say, okay, these that's the fault. For, these, these are the cause of our problems. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the challenges that I think that when it comes to trusting the government is that we have turned, we and politicians, quite frankly, have turned everything into an us versus them. Uh, and using the example down in the States with COVID, COVID was cited by mm-hmm. this survey as a big issue. You know, Donald Trump downplays it and denies COVID. So, you know, there's that. And then on the other hand, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden say, well, we won't take a vaccine made under Trump's administration because we don't trust it. So you've got both sides now fighting with the other rather than anybody trying to do something to find some middle ground. And and so if you're on either side, you don't see a, a solution here. Well, exactly. And there is a polarization. By the way, I apologize. I understand in the last segment I had a bit of a dropout, and I apologize for that, Scott. These no dollar my headphones look pretty good when I bought them. <laughs> I, I may have to upgrade, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that tomorrow. But but you're right. When when you, all of a sudden you have, you're either right or you're wrong. There's no middle ground. And if you're, by the way, you have an opinion that disagrees with me, you're an idiot. Uh, it's very, very hard to find consensus. And that's what makes being a politician even more difficult these days. Because if you take a stand on an issue, whether it's COVID, whether it's vaccination, whether it's higher taxes, whatever the case might be, the reality is, is if you say, this is the way I feel, you've got to pretty much understand right now that some people are going to hate you for it, some people are going to love you for it. And a lot of politicians are simply going to say, I don't want to alienate everybody. Anybody, for that matter. So I'm going to take middle ground. I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to say, yeah, I see merit in this side. I see merit in this side. And that equivocation frustrates people because they're going to say, I want, I want you to make a decision. I elected you to lead, not to simply you know, put your finger up into the air and say, which way is the wind blowing right now? Uh, but there's too many politicians who can do that. And, and I know the cynical side of me, and you and I have talked about this before, is that oftentimes there are very, very many politicians who simply say, I'm going to vote based on whether or not this vote is going to help me to get reelected, not whether it's the right or wrong thing to do. And that only frustrates people even more because they understand that. They get that. They're not as naive as some politicians might think. They get that there's game playing going on right now, so you don't trust them when they vote. Are you really that of, of that mind, or are you just trying to do this because you want my, your lawn sign on my, on my front property in the next election? And there's one other one that comes to mind automatically from COVID. And that is, look, many of us, maybe most of us have broken the rules at one time or another during COVID. That's, you know, that's human nature that we're going to push the boundaries at times. But that's, that's one thing. It's when we see a politician go traveling, when they've told us not to go traveling or, or, you know, um, the, the governor of Florida saying he's not going to mandate mask wearing and people say you should, or this weekend with Obama having this huge Obama birthday party without masks. I mean, whatever it's all stripes, it's all parties. It's, do you, you have to do this, but somehow we're above the laws that we have passed for you. Boy, that is the kind of thing that makes people crazy and lose their faith in government. Well, yeah, and, and we've seen this even with the anti-vaxxers down in the States. Everywhere. You know, I, I got like Ted Cruz and some of the other folks, and you mentioned some of the governors. Uh, they're all vaccinated, but they're telling people, don't do it. You know, don't bother. Don't let government push you around. But they've, they've made sure that they got both shots. Uh, because their understanding of you know, what's going on, that 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 duplicity is is frustrating. And you say, hey, I can't believe anything they say. And it goes back to my point from a second ago. Are you doing this to try to score political points, or are you doing it because you really and truly believe it's the right thing? And and as soon as that 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 scintilla doubt comes into your mind, you figure, I can't trust these guys. I can't trust any of them. 
I, I can't trust what they're saying right now. I can't trust what the motivation is for the way that they're moving policies forward. And sadly, that might only be a minority of elected officials, Scott. Yeah, but I agree. Every, everybody gets painted with the same brush. I, I 100% agree. But I, I, I say this poll, it comes from the Peace Research Institute in Norway. They were the ones and they looked at a bunch of different countries. And here's the thing. The problems are the same, it seems, everywhere. It's not Absolutely. just us. It's not just the states. B- Bill Kelly, we got to run. I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Scott. A pleasure. Thanks so much. I'm going to go buy new headphones tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The problems are everywhere. And somehow it seems, Bill's right, it's not every politician. It's the minority. But the ones that are the minority, boy, someone needs to grab them by the whatever and shake them a little bit and say, you are ruining confidence. There's so little confidence to begin with. Don't make it worse. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. City Council today uh, did something interesting. Passed Unanimously passed a motion to introduce a pilot project that is relating to apartment rentals in the city. Now, I know some of you right now are saying, wait a second, I don't live in an apartment. Why would I be listening to this next segment? Well, because, well, there's a couple of reasons, and they're both potentially and theoretically down the road going to affect you. The first reason and this is the biggest one by far, is that if you've been paying attention at all, you know in this city we have a real housing shortage. Uh, The number of units, affordability, which go hand in hand because of supply and demand. The other reason is that if this shortage doesn't get resolved somehow, not only do we have people without places to live, but the city and the province are going to have to pay for things like affordable housing, more of it, which is going to impact your taxes. So theoretically, well, but not theoretically, practically, we want things to be done that will somehow help the housing situation for all kinds of reasons, moral and economic. John Paul Danko, a Ward 8 counselor, was one of the drivers of this motion that became a pilot project. He joins us now. John Paul, thanks for the time today. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me on. So uh, just to be clear, so people understand this, this, uh, this bill, this pilot project, um, is designed to license private homes that have rental units in them, correct? That's right. This is a pilot for renting, uh, licensing rental units in wards 1 and 8 and part of ward 14, uh, which had traditionally seen a lot of single-family home conversions. So these are uh, investment properties that are bought by uh, landlords uh, and investors uh, that were formerly family housing, and then converted into rental units. And uh, historically, what has happened is, is uh, with the student populations in near Mohawk College and McMaster, you end up with ho- houses that uh, were, were again formerly family homes that end up with uh, large numbers of people living in very close proximity with, with each other, and that just leads to all kinds of problems uh, for the neighborhood in terms of garbage and property standards and parking and also for the tenants themselves, where they find themselves living in very substandard conditions. And a lot of times these are, are, are groups that are, are really being taken advantage of by um, investor property owners. Now, of course, we do have great property owners and, and landlords as well. And uh, we really want to encourage the, the responsible property owners that maintain their, their properties, that uh, see the value that they, they provide to the community, and provide that kind of family-friendly housing that uh, that we really want to promote as a city. 
would this be all private residences that would have renters or just those that are divided up like student housing, whatever? If you have, if you, for example, rent out your basement, do you need to get a license? Yes. So this okay. is all properties in, uh, in wards one and eight and part of ward 14 uh, that are rented uh, to the public or, or so it's, it's not specific if it's students or who the renter is. Um, it, it's any rental property with the caveat that it, it's, it's those homes that have been converted from single family homes to a rental. So it's not apartment buildings. It's not large purpose built rentals. It's specifically uh, unit, uh, rentals that are four units or less. Now, uh, presumably a license means there is something that the city would be able to do to crack down. So, so I, I go get my license. Do I have to have an inspection of the place by some city person to make sure that I have an okay place or like what happens with the license? What can the city do and how does the city enforce anything to do with these rentals? Well, the problem that we've run into is, is really a safety issue where the city, our bylaw staff can enforce issues on the outside of the property, but we have a real challenge uh, without licensing to enforce issues on the inside. So things like fire code violations. So you can imagine if you have for example, five people living in a basement, they might not have proper uh, egress uh, for a fire. They might not have con- uh, fire separation between units. Um, the electrical might not be up to code. The building, uh, the room sizes might be too small to meet building codes. So things like that is what uh, we're really trying to enforce with licensing. And just so that people are living in safe, clean, um, you know, humane conditions, um, we've heard stories up in Ward 8 uh, near Mohawk College of people, you know, for example, living in a bunk bed in a furnace room. And, you know, there's no way that that would be approved in, in you know, in, in any way. But yet that's kind of uh, where we're finding people. So that's those are the issues that we're trying to address with licensing. And uh, if you are a good property owner and they're like, a, I want to stress that they're there. We have great landlords, great property owners as well that maintain their properties, that rent uh, responsibly, that are insured for as a rental property, um, they're really going to see no change because they're already up to standard, they're already up to code, and it's not going to really affect them at all. It's really those property owners that really take advantage of, uh, of vulnerable populations to maximize their profits that are, that are going to see uh, a bit of a change. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's 18 months, correct? The pilot project? It's a two-year pilot, but staff two are year. going to report back in 18 months. Okay. Uh, there were a ton of people who wanted to speak to this today at council, either in person or through correspondence uh, on both sides of the issue. Um, let's start with those who were very much in favor of it. What was the the common refrain of why this was an idea that the city needed to do? I think the most common message that we heard from the delegates today was the issue of of safety and making sure that uh, tenants have, again, you know, a clean, safe place to live. Um, We heard about a a lot of firsthand experiences and observations of really inhumane living conditions where, um, you know, the one example I used of people living in a furnace room of, of People living um, in really cramped conditions in with you know one shower for you know 10 15 people that kind of thing 
And also just a, a general concern that landlords need to be responsible for the accommodations that they're that they're offering. Um, on the on the other side, you know, we did hear from investors and uh, and um, and landlords themselves uh, through their associations a concern that uh, this could add to the cost of rent and that it could lead to units uh, being taken off the market. So, and I think those are very valid concerns that uh, we need to be cognizant of as we move forward with the pilot. And yeah, and I mean, look, there was one letter that I read from a woman who said that uh, the place that she was living in was really substandard and dangerous, but she was barely hanging on. She could barely get by with the money she made. And I listened to that and I read that letter, pardon me. And then I thought, okay, but if we license and then if we force the landlord to really fix this up, as you say, the, the risk is that that just trickles down into higher rents. And then what? Because there's she, she gets one thing solved, but then she has a whole other problem. Yeah. And, and I, I think the landlords and the property owners that already have good econo- accommodations that meet standards that get building codes that, uh, you know, apply for variances through the Committee of Adjustment and that kind of thing, um, they're not going to have to do any changes. They're already up to standard. It's uh, the ones that have, you know, done renovations without a building permit that have um, people living there in violation of zoning standards, that kind of thing, that are going to have to bring their, their properties up to those standards. And in terms of the, the licensing fee, it's going to be a few hundred dollars a year for the fee. So, for example, in a typical rental that we're talking about in wards one and eight and 14, um, you have a rent of between five and six hundred dollars a month per tenant. And you have about six to eight people uh, living in a single uh, what was formerly a single family home. So that works out to about a total rent of three to four thousand dollars a year. If you break up the, the actual licensing fee per person who's living there, um, it adds up to you know five to ten dollars a month, which could be added to the uh, to the rent. So it's really a negligible expense, and especially in the in the past year where we've seen property values increase by you know ten, fifteen, twenty percent, um, a landlord with a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar property just increased their their uh, wealth by about a hundred thousand dollars in the past year. So it, it, I don't think it's unreasonable to uh, to pass this cost along to landlords, so that to ensure that the uh, that the spaces that they are renting are are safe. And, and just so I understand, because I didn't quite get it, what what can the city do? Let's say the city goes in and sees that the conditions are not safe or not good. What can the city do? And if the landlord says no, thank you, does the city have the muscle to say? What, where you're going to be fined or that you have to kick the people out? Or what happens if someone balks at this? There, there's various um, enforcement um, uh, uh, enforcement uh, regimes that could come into place. So it really depends on what the infraction is. So if, if it's a fire code infraction, then the fire department uh, will give them a, a notice in order to comply. And that's, that's a really serious uh, infraction that, uh, that has some, some fairly significant teeth behind it. And also repercussions for the property owner, because if you have a fire code infraction against you and then something happens, well, your insurance is not going to cover you. Um, so it's in your best interest to, uh, to bring your, your property into standards. If it's uh, just a building code violation, um, again, there could be an order to comply. But a lot of times these properties have been in place for, for a long time, for many years. 
So it might mean that uh, they have to go to the committee of adjustment to get a variance or something like that. There's, so there's, there's multiple ways that the city can, um, can enforce infractions and also work with property owners to, to upgrade their properties and bring them into compliance, uh, especially without having to displace any tenants. It is uh, it's an interesting one. We're going to be watching this one over the next 18 months, two years to see if, uh, if this makes life better for renters, if this makes life safer, and if hopefully uh, somehow maybe helps to alleviate the housing situation we have in the city. Uh, John Paul Danko, I know it was a long day. Appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in, um, let me bring in our friend Steve Foxcroft. He's a guy who works as an official at the NFL. He's a commentator for sports. He does all kinds of stuff. Steve, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, although I must say, uh, just in the news break there at the top of the hour, I saw this late-breaking news report that Tony Esposito just died. And I'll tell you, Steve, I don't know about you. I don't know if you were a hockey guy growing up. There was no position in sports, period, anywhere, any other position as a kid to me, that was as cool as goalie and hockey from the equipment and everything else. It was the coolest. And Tony Esposito was right near the top of that list as far as coolest guys on the ice. And you know, everything about it was great because the Blackhawks, I think had the best Jersey, the best logo, uh, the best stadium back in the day, the best organist, the best anthem singer. And, and Tony Esposito, of course, with his brother, Phil, right? Yeah. Just, awesome people kind of like the you know we had the Howe family the Gretzky family but they're kind of up there with being the first family of hockey in Canada and you know I spent the winter as you know in Florida working those Raptor games down there and every Thursday down in on the sports talk radio in Tampa Phil Esposito would come on to do a segment like you and I are doing now the best stories got the best stories and many of them of course included tony esposito as well and uh, well yeah sad and, news to hear this well it's sad news because he's a legend but as i say as a kid and maybe this is maybe window in hockey but as i say to me once upon a time back then in the in the i'm going to pick the 70s but you had the really the the goalie mask was coming into its own as far as not just a protective thing but as as an artistic form where guys would paint their masks with really with really cool designs the go- goalie pads were just so cool the way they broke them in and the way they looked and the best part for me unlike today's goalies and look today's goalies are better than ever but you could pretty much change equipment on guys now, change sweaters, change masks, and you could not tell one goalie from the next now. They all play the same way. Back then, Tony Esposito was the butterfly guy. Ken Dryden was the stand-up guy. Bernie Perrant played a different way. Every goalie you could tell by their style. They had a different style. Now it's all just cookie cutter. Right. They're all cookie cutters. Jerry Cheevers was another guy you'd throw into that list, right? And Oh, yeah. Mike Palmatier, go down the list. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, but and and Tony Esposito too. When you saw him out of uniform, he looked like he was going to Mama's house for a plate of pasta. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just an awesome guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things about sports that that I always wish. Uh, look, we we like it that sports is played at such a high level in the professional levels and stuff like that now. But it's almost to the point where we've perfected it. 
And once upon a time, and again, I don't want to sound like the old man screaming to get off my lawn, but once upon a time, sports wasn't quite so perfect. And there was room for different styles and different ways of doing things. And I I loved that about sports. I love that about the way, you know, as I say, goalies, especially, but quarterbacks, basketball players like today, go back in basketball. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar invented the skyhook. And you would have thought when he was doing that, that 30, 40 years later, because it was such an unstoppable weapon in basketball, that every team would have guys shooting skyhooks today. Nobody shoots a skyhook today. You're, it, it's not something that anybody does. We all have to play the same way. Everything is the same way now. And then it became a physical game. And then it was great, too, uh, when you bring up Kareem and when Magic was really the only other guy to use a sky hook, and he did it uh, out of necessity when he had to go in because of injury and play down low, and Magic was great, right? He was a guy that could do that. And then he did the, he used the sky hook, and almost as a tribute to Kareem, too, right? And keeping the Laker legend alive and so on and so forth. And, you know, getting back to the Tony Esposito thing, and you mentioned the styles and everything like that, and when you watch the classic games as well, there was more puck carrying going on than there is in the games today too, right? Like you watch it, first of all, nothing on the ice, nothing on the boards. And then the guys actually carried the puck, like Bobby Orr style to throw out another vintage name, right? And it was just, it was a different game altogether. And the one that we grew up with and slowly watched change and uh, the players, let's face it, they are stronger and faster, right? But there's something to be said about the old school that we watched uh, growing up. There is hockey, baseball, basketball, all used to be very varied. And now it's largely played the same way or pretty close to the same way by everyone. Now, the one that's gone the opposite direction, which is pretty remarkable is once upon a time, if you were a quarterback in football, it was a three-step or a seven-step drop and you either hand off or throw. Now, now football is the one quarterback is the one position that's gone the other direction and pretty much anything goes now and there's lots of guys doing different things, which is kind of interesting that it would be the sport that would be the most probably unique in how a particular position is played. Yeah, and you got so many different styles of quarterbacks now, right? And then like you mentioned cookie cutter earlier, there's so many things you, you try. It's a copycat league, uh, but... In, in Hamilton here, to bring up the quarterbacks, we kind of got two that are a little different here with Masoli and Evans, right? And it's kind of neat that we got that one-two punch and something that we can see diff- different looks. Our Coach O can throw in different looks and all that. And then in the in, and to stay with quarterbacks, too, how about the Peyton Manning Hall of Fame speech? To yeah, have I saw Tom that. Brady I saw that. There, you know? First of all, he's so well-spoken, right? He's just awesome. He has Tom Brady there, who you think biggest rival. And then you find out that they were actually buddies. And sometimes in the offseason, they would get get together and work out together. And then, of course, Brady being Brady, he would steal some of the Colts' plays and, and use them against them in, like, championship games. Which yeah, was it was very if – if people have not seen Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame speech, it's, I think, about nine minutes long, which is three minutes longer than it was really supposed to be. Um, but that's okay. Uh, go look it up on YouTube. It is well worth a look. I want to ask like you that, about – We always go three minutes longer, too, but it's well worth it. Let's hope so. Let's hope today people say that at the end of this. Um, exactly. I want to ask you about Goran uh, Dragic. So when when the when the when Kyle Lowry is leaving the Raptors as a free agent, 
He could have just gone to Miami as a free agent and signed, or because of the rules, he could have signed with the Raptors because he gets an extra year and then gone and they trade him and it's a sign and trade, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the Raptors get a guy back for Lowry and it's this guy, Goran Dragic, who, when he's interviewed, basically, well, not basically, says, I don't want to go to Toronto. I have higher aspirations than going to Toronto, which he said it in, whether it was Croatian or Romanian or whatever else it was. And now he's saying, well, there was a translation issue, but people who know how to speak the language say, no, there wasn't really much of a translation problem. That was pretty close. That how, was oopsie, right? <laughs> well, how do you as a professional athlete, and he's not brand new at this, how do you as a professional athlete not understand that in 2021, first of all, that what you say, that there's this thing called the internet, that whatever you say is going to live forever and it will get back to the town that you're talking about. How are you not bright enough to figure this out? Yeah, that was that was a backpedaling move then, right? Like that's just setting himself up to backpedal. And you're right. How can he be so naive to think that he's going to make a comment like that? And even while the Olympics are on too, like it's an Olympic thing. So the world is watching more than ever right now. And they came in fourth and all that. And, and just crazy to say that. Like it's, and no matter how you feel, right? Like sometimes in business and in life, you may think it, but you can't say it. And now he's had to then do the professional backpedal. And, uh, I don't know if people are buying it. So who knows? It'll be interesting to see if he ever donned a Raptors jersey, you know, but it's limited to figure out where he could go. Like where he wants to go, of course, is Dallas to play with his buddy. But I don't know if they're going to be able to figure that out. Well, this is, I mean, so first of all, the first part about this, what he did um, strikes me as just absolutely boneheaded because it just, you know, even if you don't want to come to Toronto, I don't know that you want to make yourself public enemy number one with the people you're supposed to be coming in front of and playing and, and handcuffing Masai Ujiri because, mm. you know, you if even if you want to be moved, raise your trade value, don't lower it. Nonetheless, uh, there's the first thing. But the second part is I, I this reminded me, and I don't think we've ever gotten away from it really, but it really did remind me I think there still are an awful lot of athletes in an awful lot of sports that look at Canada as the Arctic tundra and somehow in a different world. And even though they've traveled here to play games and they've whatever else, it, it's still as seen as the hinterland. That's right. And, and the hinterland that apparently doesn't have cable TV as well, yeah, right? And, doesn't have ESPN. And or U.S. history or anything like that. Like our schools don't have the internet and stuff like that too, because that's what they, that's what they can't figure out. Like, Oh, they don't have ESPN in Canada. We can't get the news from the States and the kids cannot learn about the president of the United States and everything like that. So it is people have, they're living under a rock still. And all they have to do is creep out and look around and uh, know that we're a world-class city here. Like we're world-class. So come on down and you'll love it. Uh, yeah, it just, it seems to me that like, I remember back now, uh, we're not even going that far back, but when the Blue Jays were winning the World Series in 92 and 93, up until that point, there'd always been this comment that, you know, baseball players didn't want to come to Toronto because, you know, whatever reason. And then all of a sudden they got good and they made a bunch of trades and they start winning World Series. And for that moment, they were all good to come here. 
And then you kind of went back a little bit and you got into the, the JP um, uh, Ricciardi era, the JP Ricciardi, and where you started hearing about guys again, not wanting, you really had to convince them to come. And it's like, how, how, how much work are the teams still needing to, how much more work should they be doing then to try and convince guys around the league? Or should they not have to do that? I think too, it's about winning. Cause look at the Jays now, they got a pretty good lineup. And they're starting to win again, and guys are wanting to come here again. So it's about winning, and it's about dollars and cents. George Springer, oh, you have $150 million? Oh, yeah, that isn't in Canadian dollars. That's in U.S. dollars. I'll come. And the one thing we've always heard of with the Jays, too, is they usually have to give that extra year. Right. You know, something like that. And now we know the, the Internet's all over the place, so I'm going to bring this one up, too. And I hope it doesn't uh, find its way to Milwaukee. But, you know, like Aaron Rodgers says, too, Milwaukee isn't on people's hit list of places to go. It's not the, uh, but Giannis, he went back there. So something, some, you know, they will go to these outlying areas or areas that, you know, aren't the traditional big markets. But it's about winning and it's about money. And he went for yeah. a lot of money and he ended up winning. But George Springer, you say George Springer came to the Blue Jays. He absolutely did. But he came to the Blue Jays for such an extraordinary amount of money. No one else apparently was even close to that. So he would have had to have been a complete moron not to come. I um, agree. But, but you don't see guys saying, oh, you know what? I'm just dying to go play for the Blue Jays. Now you see it for the Leafs, but those are the guys that grew up here. And I think that's the issue is right. what There's guy who grew up in New York or LA or Tampa or wherever dreams of playing in Toronto. Yeah. Nobody. Not, they, that's not going to happen. I don't think. They might dream of playing in New York because they saw Madison Square Garden as a kid, or they might dream of playing at Dodger Stadium because they saw Chavez, Chavez Ravine as a kid. Nobody, if you're down in the States, I don't think grew up watching games at Skydome. No, very difficult to watch those games. Although it would be intriguing to say, oh, there was that place where the roof folded back, you know, but now there's a, there's a handful of Now there's 10 of them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just it 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 shocks me in some ways that this is still an issue, and that despite their best efforts, and I think they do make efforts, um, the Toronto teams, other than in hockey, still seem to have this issue to overcome. I thought with the Raptors, you know, if if Drake is half the big deal in the NBA that we keep hearing that he is. Well, surely Drake would have been a lure, but you know, I, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen the guys coming up going, oh man, I got to play in front of Drake every night. You know, that that's not seeming to do anything. The global ambassador seems to be just that he's pretty global because he seemed to be a, he changed to an LA Laker that's right. ambassador this year, you know? So that's, you're right. Yeah. Like he might not be doing his job for his, uh, stipend that he gets every year you know we did notice that didn't we we did notice that that the guy who has got season not season ticket well yeah season tickets on the floor and the the jackets and the shirts and everything from the raptors suddenly is cheering like what when did you ever see jack nicholson jack jack nicholson i was gonna say jack nicholas wrong guy jack Mm -hmm. nicholson switch allegiances just because the lakers were out of the playoffs and suddenly he decided i'm gonna be a denver nuggets fan yeah never never happened never never Exactly. Diane Cannon never switched. The, the, the celebrities were with their team. It, uh, I don't know. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Can I bring up one something something real quick? Of a course. New, 
a new marketing technique that I just saw in the Blue Jays. Now they're on the road out in L.A. playing the Angels. I, I saw last year they had the Major League Baseball logo on the pitcher's mound, but they've yes. now changed it where there's advertising at the back of the pitcher's mound, Scott. I saw that. I saw I that. It changes every inning. There, and it's very influential, too, because I'm craving that company now. How long until we get to the point where Buck Martinez, who, by the way, whose whole run call I hate more than anything else in sports. Uh, I, I truly despise the abject, complete shill homerism. Get out, ball, or get out, baller. Yeah. I hate that. But how long until he has been told, we've sold your call? So he's going, get up, ball, brought to you by KFC chicken. Home run. I mean, how long until we're doing that stuff? It could just be that, you know, because they have it. Every highlight now is this. Yep. The three stars of the game are brought to you by. Like, it's everything is brought to you by. So I just hope no one, because I'm kind of leaning in your boat of Buck Martinez. Um, I just, that home run call doesn't, it doesn't do it for me, right? It doesn't do it for me. How about? I don't, I don't hate Buck Martinez. I don't hate his call of a game generally. I hate the home run call. Yeah, I It's, exactly. it's too, every, every team play-by-play guy has a team-friendly call and is excited when the team hits a home run but there's something over the top homerish about that about that one like even the yankees one where you know uh stand up all rule the judge or whatever and all the other ones that they do they just don't seem to because they don't say it like he says it the way he embellishes it is just not it's just too homeristic i think well they say it the Yankees ones and others say it after the ball has gone out. Buck is right. Buck is saying to get out. He's cheering for a result rather than just honoring the play. Good point. That's well said. You're right. The other ones do it after the fact, acknowledging the play and what just happened, where he's rooting for it to happen. And that's just out of place, I think. You know. And the other thing, too, we have Dan Schulman on the other nights, who Brilliant. is the game's best, right? So... It, it's such a just change. It's too much, too much of a change. Yeah, there you go. Well, but it will. It'll be. It... I even like Rick Jenneret from Buffalo, the Sabers Homer, and and but he's actually like you said, he acknowledges it afterwards, and he's entertaining with it. He doesn't get on my nerves, but rooting for it to happen as the play-by-play guy that gets on my nerves. Yeah, it does, but there you go. But his, his, I'm sure his call will be sold to a highest bidder soon enough, and we'll have uh, we'll have calls brought to you by and everything else. But yes, it's I did, I did notice that ad now on the back of the pitcher's mound, and um, and, and I expect there will be more because you know what, yeah. there always is a need for more revenue in professional sports. Exactly, you got Steve it. Foxcroft. Love having you on. Thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate no your problem. time. No we'll, problem. We'll leave it with how Buck Martinez. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> See you later. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.